Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. My name is Dan Hughes. My guest today is Senior Portfolio Manager, Scott Weber. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Dan. So as we're, we're rounding out 2018, Scott, we've, we've seen a, uh, a really harsh Q4. Uh, the S&P, uh, as of the recording today, is, is down approximately 15%. Um, you know, most major indices are down double digits at this point. Uh, you know, I, I guess the question here is, you know, did, did you see this happening, and, and what were some trigger points that, that caused this? Yeah, just to color that a little bit, I think your 15% observations for the quarter, right? So for yes, the correct, year, we're correct. down about a high single digit. Yep. Um, and, and I don't think anybody on the planet is going to look you straight in the face and say, oh, we absolutely saw this. I think at the beginning of the year, um, you know, we, we sounded a note of caution. Uh, we were beginning to uh, reflect a quality bias or, or, or put differently, uh, be less uh, aggressive with, with accepting risk. I uh, wasn't sure that it was all going to happen in the fourth quarter. Um, but Lord knows the fourth quarter has been painful. Uh, it's been just a drubbing. Uh, and, and exacerbated by the fact that we entered the fourth quarter, you know, as a market up, you know, low double digits, let's say. The interesting thing about that is it's really just the U.S. markets and really a larger cap bias. I mean, the rest of the markets around the planet weren't up. Um, smalls weren't having as good a time. Certainly anybody not uh, U.S. dollar delineated was, was not having as good a time. So um, it's probably arriving in a similar position you might have expected at the beginning of the year. But uh, doing so with a fantastic flame out, uh, uncomfortable way. Right. So yeah. So so the ride on how we got here was a little maybe less expected, but the the outcome is was not too unexpected. It, it you know and the interesting thing about it, if you look, you know, December, I would carve away from the kind of late January and in the October drawdowns. And if you think about those two, it's interesting about that is you're in earnings season, and as you know, um, and this is not uh, a legally researched opinion, but generally speaking, a company can't buy its own stock until it's reported once the quarter's over. Uh, and so if you took a kind of a date-stamped histogram of when companies report just by using the S&P, the January slash February drawdown lined up nicely and the October drawdown lined up really nicely when you sort of hit the halfway mark of companies reporting. And and that may not seem like a big deal, particularly to a fundamentalist, but if you consider for the moment that, you know, since the credit crisis, you've, you've had about $3.8 billion of corporate buybacks. So that, did I say billion? I meant trillion. That, there you go. That, that closely aligns, ironically, with QE. But if the, if the captain's not in the market, can't buy back his own stock, there's an incremental buyer, which, by the way, has been the largest incremental buyer uh, over that aggregate time period because you've had outflows from, from active funds the last couple of years, and the inflows that you've had into ETFs, uh, and 16 and 17 didn't fully offset that. So all that said, the, the Jan-February uh, drawdown and the October drawdown happens during earnings season. The December drawdown doesn't. Uh, and so that's why this one feels more painful to me, at least. Right. And so you bring up QE. And, you know, much of what we've, we've talked about is, is how much of this that we're going through today is quantitative tightening, you know, further expressed as a re- repricing of assets. Um, and I guess if I just yeah, further that question, right, is, you know, if, if we experienced QE um, and the intention was to go up into infrastructure, into development and R&D, and the majority of those, that, that capital went into the equity market, specifically 
U.S. equity markets inflating prices, um, are we experiencing a bit of a reversal here in the repricing of those assets? That's certainly not the first policy decision that met with unintended consequences, to be sure. I think at the ad, you know, in the onset of QE, the primary discussion was fear of inflation, and that, you know, we may be seeing seeds of it now, you know, almost a decade hence. But in, in the fullness of time, if you step back and look at things and say, well, if QE really pushed, uh, you know, if that liquidity found its home in financial assets as opposed to growth expense, uh, that, that stretches multiples in, in valuation. Is it a surprise to anyone that as we've been reducing the accommodation and actually tightening and the ECB has been reducing and will go to effectively flat next year um, with respect to balance sheet adjustments, should anyone be surprised that less incremental liquidity is having the opposite effect that more incremental liquidity had over the prior years? Right, right. There you go. Um, so a uh, big Fed chair decision uh, over the past week. Um, Chairman Powell elected to raise uh, on 25 basis points. Uh, you know, I, I would just characterize this as, as somewhat anticipated by the market, yet um, it, it turned uh, on this specific day a slightly positive market, uh, heavily negative. Um, and he's also alluded to you know, multiple 2019 raises, um, which is a, a, with some dovish language around it. But you know, I, I guess the question for you here, Scott, is you know, what, what lies ahead? And you know, does this, um, is this an example of the Fed beginning to distance itself from, from supporting the market? You know, I, I can't speak to Fed intent, um, but with respect to the release and the discussion yesterday following the release, the market got what it expected, but the market didn't get what it wanted. Right. So, you know, the market wanted, um, you know, the market wanted, you know, for an overt discussion of tapping of the brakes, certainly on rates. There were some splashy, high-profile individuals who I happen to think highly of who said, it's time. Um, and yet I, I, I try to reconcile my, my respect for those individuals with, you know, what we all what we all understand to be the stated mandate of the, the Fed with respect to, you know, employment and, and price stability. And if we've got a 2% uh, target uh, and on inflation and we're sort of never there, we're close but never, right, right. Uh, and we're essentially at full employment, to expect the Fed to not raise rates yesterday, I think would have been ambitious. I mean, I liken it somewhat to my children who uh, would love to have candy for breakfast every day, but that's not what's right for them. Right. There you go. A fine analogy. So, uh, you know, this this officially uh, artificially um, this artificial effort of keeping rates low uh, has has created a, a whole host of, of what we would describe as zombie companies. Um, are we beginning to see, or as you're as you're examining businesses out there, are you beginning to see that those companies are are washing themselves out? And and um, if you're starting to see this, um, you know, how long can can they survive? Yeah, I don't know if they've been washed out yet. Washed out to me. Um, Applies a lot of zeros, but yeah, right, exactly, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, certainly they're bearing pain, though, yes, right? The market's yes. sniffing that out, and not just equities, the fixed income market as well. And usually there's a catalyst around a debt roll or something like that that takes the zombie and buries it finally. Um, but but certainly over the past few years, we've helped prop a few of those up with, with, a, with a whole lot of liquidity. So, all right, so shifting gears a little bit, uh, let's talk energy. Uh, energy prices have, uh, have really tumbled. Um, I've heard the argument here that, you know, it's, it's not a demand issue, but it's, it's really just more of an oversupply issue. Can you weigh on there? I mean, it's, it's always and everywhere both, right? right. Yeah. Let's not overlook that, you know, apart from the fledgling effort in Shanghai right now, oil's priced in dollars and the dollar's been strong and the U.S. economy has been, you know, the strongest really uh, on a global basis. And so around the globe you have... Uh, maybe less increase in demand. Um, and, and I think that uh, 
in the developed economies, the demand for oil is less and less economically sensitive. Uh, and, and in the developing economies, it's still very economically sensitive. And so that, that frames a big portion of that. Uh, there was a brief period of time where the United States was a, was a net exporter here this year. That's certainly unusual and not something anyone would have predicted a long time ago. That's not to say that it's sustainable, but uh, it certainly acknowledges the fact that we've brought a lot of supply in the market. And uh, the Saudi gambit of uh, a couple of years ago certainly doesn't seem to have paid off as they are now uh, a, you know, part of the OPEC plus discussion of reducing supply to, to prop up price. That coupled with what we see is some natural roll off in uh, growth of supply in the oncoming years. And uh, at the margin here, just the last few days, a couple of independent uh, EMP companies talking about reducing their you know, rig demand for, for the upcoming year. It, it could be that they fix the supply side of that. It's just a question of whether or not they can do so before uh, you know, we, we have any economic issues and you know, say a year out or so. Yeah, of course, you just, you just go through the balancing, right? You, you, you couple. Um, you know, a massive amount of energy hitting the market plus the excess stores, and, and here we go. And balancing is the right way to describe it. I right. mean, it's a teacup on a stick. A little jolt is going to knock it down and break things. There you go. Um, all right, so the other big news in Q4 were, were tariffs, right? Uh, and as the administration has uh, had an ongoing um, riff with China with respect to uh, the tariffs, how, how do you view that, and how do you view that as impacting businesses as you're looking out there as, a, as an active manager? I think the first thing you have to do is make sure you don't have direct risk to that. And so to the extent that we had businesses that have meaningful China exposure that may be subject to uh, tariff risk, um, wh whether it's through importation uh, of, of, you know, uh, of goods or through you know, export of uh, you know, particularly uh, the ag uh, complex that, they, that, that the Chinese response targeted, you, you reduce that risk. I, as an individual, I think that given the incentives for both sides of, of the discussion, which in, certainly in Xi's case is very long-term, and, and I think that the Trump administration is at least looking with a longer-term mind, uh, a longer -term mindset, I, I've heard a million pundits come out and say that this is going to be over and done very quickly, and I think that that's absolutely not the case, and I can't base that on anything but judging the incentives on either side. I think the 90-day clock that we started a, you know, a couple weeks back is probably just the next step in the further delaying. It's certainly advantageous for both sides to continue to, to do so um, in, in terms of they think they've got the, the better hand in, in each side. So we have certainly tried to stay away from that, if for no other reason, because it's not measurable. If it's not measurable, you can't really get a, a distinct advantage in it. Um, and so... We, if, if there is a sudden uh, negotiated agreement, we won't participate in, in that upside. But in the meantime, we think we've inoculated as much, as much risk as we can from it by, by not owning things that uh, would suffer through prolonged uh, negotiations. So, so, I mean, so your, your portfolio is mainly large cap today. Um, and you know, how, how challenging is it to avoid businesses given U.S. large cap companies' international reach, right? I mean, this is a very, very tightly tied global market um, to find companies that are operating here within the U.S. that do not, um, you know, do not, uh, you know, 
do a substantial amount of their business with China. Uh, is that where do you where do you yeah, you can't that? Right? right? I mean, right. at so, at some point it affects you through the cycle. Mm-hmm. You just want to take take as much risk as you can off the table there. Yeah. So I think that that lines us up nicely here. So we're just talking about 2019 as as we're preparing for it. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about Select specifically. Uh, what parts of the market are getting you excited, or specific to Select? What part of that portfolio gets you excited? Um, how do you think we're going to hold up? I, th- I think that you know the market's telling us that they're trying to digest. A 2018 that brought forward, you know, the, the Tax Cut and Job Act enhances earnings growth. We're not getting that same level of earnings growth next year. We certainly don't have the fundamental support for that. We don't have the the optics of better EPS through enhanced share buyback through that capital coming home. And let's be honest, a lot of that capital coming home really went straight to share buyback and not to plant and, and R&D. Right. Um, you know, you, you also, I think, as a portion of that, Tax Cut and Job Act brought forward uh, pension contributions because the deduction rate uh, is commensurately lower with lower tax rates. And so you put everything in, in um, you know, in, in, into the mosaic and you think about what happens in 2019. We, we will be hard-pressed to figure out uh, acceleration of earnings. And at the same time, I think many people are looking at the reduction or the drawdown in, in financial asset prices and saying, but wait, the economy's fine. And that's essentially true, but that doesn't mean that the stock market has to go up just because the economy's fine. And so the market is trying to digest and figure out where is the real fair price for the environment that we see. A portion of that is people capitulating. Uh, a portion of that is people degrossing or de-risking. And a portion of that is someone has to draw a line in the sand and say that asset's just too cheap. And so I've seen a couple of things where um, you know, some some folks believe that the 14 to 15, although after today it's probably a 13 to 14, forward earnings multiple in the S&P is probably a fair number relative to history and certainly we have low rates and yada, yada, yada. That's, that's all true. Um, at the end of the day, we need to get through that process and, and the market will determine through the movement of capital what the right valuation is. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that there is, and nor do I see, or could, could you see an acute 08 style risk. Uh, I think it's more of a, you know, kind of 94, 95 um, realignment. Uh, and so you can expect that the portfolio uh, looks like that. I mean, if you go back again to the sort of three drawdowns of 18, the Jan Feb versus October, Jan Feb was a little more of an allocation. October was was allocation and, and really December is reduction, right? And, and so we're getting to a better price on a market that reflects an economy that's still growing, although late, late in the cycle, it's growing slower. It is definitely not accelerating. And the outside influences of liquidity or fiscal stimulus are waning in 2019. And I, and I like what you said there. Just this is this is more of a market realignment than anything else. So good. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate you having us on, uh, having, having you on here. And uh, we look forward to uh, having you again in a short time. Thank you. You bet.